All right. Well, would you join me in a word of prayer before we have today's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you can tell by the screen that I'm trying something new this week. (laughs) So we will see how well this works. Uh, I was a little discouraged last week. It didn't seem that uh, things showed up on the video screen as well as I had hoped. So I'm trying something new. Now, today's not going to be so much preaching as it's going to be teaching. Okay? So with that in mind, I I, kind of thought, you know, using this technology, sitting at home, talking to myself, which by the way, I'm tired of talking to myself on phones. <laughs> um, I'm ready to be with you all again, and hopefully that'll happen soon. But uh, anyways, I just thought this is an opportunity to tackle a difficult uh, concept in Christian doctrine. So, uh, and part of it too is because of John's emphasis, especially in these chapters. So we've been looking at the gospel of John. Uh, last week we looked at John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it's kind of a hinge passage, uh, in the Bible, in the book of John. And, uh, Now we move uh, chapters 13 through 17, move into what's called the Upper Room Discourse. And uh, you will find all sorts of red letters if you have a red letter Bible. This is one of the biggest passages of Jesus speaking uh, in all of the Bible. And uh, so today we're going to look at chapter 17, which is often called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. But uh, it's not going to be a teaching on prayer. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to see how Jesus kind of, what he does is he has about five ideas <laughs> that he's talking about. He and John are talking about, uh, John, the author, who's recording this for us in this way. Uh, there's about five ideas that John records and kind of circles around through chapters 14 through 17. And he comes back back at him and to him again and back and forth to him. It's kind of like... Uh, Oh, maybe if you're talking to a person with ADD and they just can't stay on a subject, but they're all at the same time very related to one another. So they're, they're these, these ideas. And we're going to pick out one of these ideas and we're going to chase this idea uh, through these passages of Scripture because it's the culminating idea. Uh, of Jesus in his high priestly prayer. And honestly, it's the culminating idea in the Gospels, uh, in not just the Gospels, the uh, it's the culminating idea of the Bible. So here we go. John chapter 17. Well, uh, John chapter 17, verse 3 has this really interesting verse. This is the This is how it goes. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, John 17, 3. Now, this is fascinating because this is the only place in Scripture that defines eternal life. And many people are shocked when they learn this because most folks believe, well, that's what the Bible is about, right? How can I have eternal life? How do I know what happens to me when I die? Uh, and I mean, it does talk to those issues, but, uh, this is the only place in scripture where we have this idea, uh, 
of what eternal life is. Now, uh, one of the questions that this begs is then, how do we know that we know the one true God? Because if that's what eternal life, if that's what leads to eternal life is knowing the one true God who sent Jesus Christ, then how do we know that we know the one true God? In fact, in the denomination of the Methodist Church right now, there are a lot of arguments. There's a lot of uh, disagreement as to is Jesus the only way for salvation? Can people have salvation through other means, or is Jesus the one and only way? Hopefully by the end of this talk, we will all understand why uh, salvation is only found in Christ. Um, and it, 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 it hopefully will make a lot of sense by the end of this talk. So this is fascinating. This is from Dr. Tim Mackey, the guy behind the Bible Project. He says, Jesus' prayer culminates in a theme of spiritual union between a person who believes in Jesus and Jesus himself and, therefore, with the Spirit and with the Father. So we're starting to get into this language that uh, Orthodox Christianity calls the Trinity. So this means that we that to have eternal life, we must know the triune the God in three persons, the Trinity, the triune God. So today's message, today's topic, today's teaching is on the Trinity. Now, hold your horses. This should be super easy for us, right? Because it's in the name. Trinity United Methodist Church, right? Um, it's easy enough to name your church Trinity. It's a whole other animal to know what on earth we're talking about when we talk about Trinity. So we're going to dive back into John because one of the things that John does is he chases these themes that he set us up to see earlier in the book and then they culminate later in the book. And so in John chapter 6, we get this the feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000 or whatever it is in John's gospel. I don't recall right now. But uh, we get the feeding and then Jesus starts to give... Uh, teaching. And he starts to liken himself to the manna that was given from heaven in the wilderness when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And then he starts to teach very difficult things and people get very uncomfortable and uh, many people even quit following Jesus. And so John chapter 6 verse 47, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. This is a little unusual for me, but I think it's important that we jump around a little bit and uh, see these threads. So Jesus says, the one who believes has eternal life, right? So uh, that's important to, to, in order to understand what John 17, 3 is talking about. John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, says Jesus. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So once again, the Bible is being kind of, well, in, in this case, Jesus is saying something really weird. It's kind of disturbing. This bread is my flesh. John six fifty six. whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. So he doesn't uh, ratchet it down. He ratchets it up instead of saying, now I'm speaking metaphorically, or he's trying to make the, the crowd uh, comfortable, he just says, you know what? I'm sticking with this metaphor. I'm sticking with this idea. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Okay, interesting. So now we pick up this, this language of remain. 
and John 14, 16 through 20. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, for he lives with you and will be in you. So now we've got this idea that Jesus, if we eat his flesh, we will be in Jesus and he will be in us. I mean, that's what happens when we eat something, right? It's in us and it's we remain in, in, it remains in us. And now he's saying that he will send the spirit and the spirit will live in us as well. He goes on, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. <laughs> so now we're saying that Jesus is in the father and then I, you are in me, so we are in Jesus, and then Jesus is in us, and then the spirit we've seen is in us. All right, Jesus, where are you going with this? John 15, maybe he gets clearer. Remain in me as I also remain in you. So now we have this idea that we're remaining in Jesus, and Jesus is remaining in us. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So now we've got this idea of remaining or dwelling or abiding in Jesus. And he goes on. He says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So remaining in Jesus is linked up with remaining in his love, remaining in his love is linked up with keeping his commands. So now we're dwelling in Jesus, we're dwelling in the spirit, the spirit is dwelling in us, Jesus is dwelling in us, Jesus is dwelling in the Father, and we're remaining in love by keeping commands. Anybody's head spinning yet? All right, well, let's keep seeing if there's more spinning. John 17, 20 through 23. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So now he's praying, he's been praying for the apostles, for those who are around him, the disciples. And now he's praying for those who will listen to the disciples and they will believe in their message. So guess, who's he's, guess who he's praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. That's who he's praying for now. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's saying that, Father, you and I are in each other. And then may they all be one and may they all be one like you are in me and I am in you and may they all be in us. Okay, maybe it's not getting clearer. Let's keep going. John 17, 20 through 23 still. <clears throat> I have given them all the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's where his prayer, I think, comes to an end, if I remember what I, correctly here. Nope, I misspoke. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them 
and that I myself may be in them. Huh. There's a lot of Jesus is in the Father, the Spirit is in... The Father and Jesus and the Spirit are all in each other and they're all one and then we are in... Jesus is in us and the Spirit is in us and then we're... What's going on here? It's like we're at the very end of language, what language can possibly describe. And it's like Jesus is going on and on and on for these three chapters. Just He's, he's just circling around. It's like he's trying. I mean, the sentences make sense when we read them. I am in you and you are in me and remain in me and I will remain in you and you will be in the spirit and the spirit will be in you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and you will remain in me. And I pray that all of you will be one like the father and I are one. I mean, it's making sense, right? But at the same time, it's like, okay, who's in who and what's in what and what is going on? How does this apply to me? Well, this graphic's helpful. Trinity, that's what we're talking about, Trinity Church. We're talking about this idea that there is only one God, but this God is in three divine persons. And the persons are all co-equal and co-eternal. So it's like this age-old question that people ask, what was God doing before he created the world? Well, God was, God the Father was loving God the Son, and God the Son was loving God the Spirit, and God the Spirit was loving God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Son was loving God the Father. They were all loving one another. That's what they've been doing for eternity, forever, loving one another. And out of God's desire to share that love with other beings, he created. It, he didn't create because he was bored. He didn't create because he, he wanted slaves or he needed serving. You know, it's interesting because this is a unique Christian doctrine. And it is a key doctrine in Islam, in Judaism, in all other religions the God that they worship, or sometimes they have a plurality of gods, but the God or gods or goddesses that they worship are just single beings. They're like you and I, a, a single being, one. And when you think of a single being creating something, why would a single being create something? Why would a single being speak why would a single being do anything? The reason a single being would do something is to... to appease itself, to be happy, to be, to get something for itself. But the gospel and the scriptures and the Christian teaching is that God is perfect and lacks nothing and has been in existence as a trinity, three persons, one God, all loving one another forever and ever. And out of the outflow of this love, God created. Out of a desire to share this love, God created. But what happened? Well, we rejected this love. We rejected this relationship 
You see, what God wanted was he wanted us in this relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to participate. He wanted a divine family that would participate, but we chose not to participate. We said no. We sinned, right? We went our own way. We made our own choice. But it didn't stop God. God came up with a plan, and he always had a plan. Even before he created, he had a plan. He knew it was going to happen, and he created a plan, and he enacted a rescue. Now, I think this is one of the best illustrations. This is an ancient illustration of the Trinity, the Father, the Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. And I mean, they're all distinct persons, but they're all God. And we can misspeak about the Trinity. You hear it all the time. You have to be very careful about the language you use in trying to describe the Trinity. Some folks like to give illustrations, but these illustrations oftentimes are are very, uh, they're wrong. They, they, they lead us astray. So one example that is often given is this idea that God, you just, you can describe the Trinity like water. So like water has three stages, like uh, water can be in three states. It can be frozen, it can be liquid, or it can be a gas. And so some people have argued or some people have described the Trinity using that kind of language that, you know, God is like uh, ice and God is like liquid and God is like gas. Well, the problem with that is that that's still just water. It's just one thing, but it's in different modalities. It's in different stages. And that is so not like God. God is not in different stages. So when Jesus was here on planet Earth, physically present to the world in a body, God the Father was still existing in the spirit in the heavens or everywhere, wherever God is, right? And the Spirit was also existing. They've always existed. They always are. They're co-equal, co-eternal, co-existing, and they don't take on different modalities. So you have to be very careful about the language, the ways you talk about the Trinity. Now, why does this matter, right? I mean, Fascinating, Steve. Wow, interesting. So glad I got up and pushed play on the Facebook feed today. Why does this matter to me? Well, remember where we started, John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, it takes us back to our question. How do we have eternal life? This is the only passage in scripture that has a blatant uh, definition of what eternal life is. And it says to know God. Now, it's interesting because if you go to other religious systems or other ways of belief, they will say much the same thing, that the eternal life is found in God. But you have to be very careful. How are you defining God? Are you defining God as Allah, who is only one? A single being God? Are you defining God as the Jews, where it is a single being God? 
Or are you defining God as Christians define God? That God is three persons, co-eternal, co-equal, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to see in a moment here from a great quote why this is so important. But this is what God is doing through Jesus. God wants us to participate, be a part of this love triangle, for lack of a better word. God wants us to be part of this divine love fest that has been going on for all eternity. That's what God wanted as a part for us to be. He wanted us to be a part of this. I love this quote. It's from a wonderful book. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. And you might be thinking, wow, what a weird name for a book, Delighting the Trinity. I mean, who can be delighting in this? This is just head scratching. It's uh, creating a headache. It's difficult to wrap our heads around. And by the way, God is difficult to wrap our heads around. We're trying to describe a being who defies categories, who defies our ability to comprehend. We're trying to describe a being that is indescribable to us on many different levels. And so this quote is fascinating. This God makes no third party suffer to achieve atonement. The one who dies is the Lamb of God, the Son. And it means that nobody but God contributes to the work of salvation. The Father, Son, and Spirit accomplish it all. Now, if God were not triune, if there was no Son, no Lamb of God to die in our place, then we would have to atone for our sin ourselves. You see what he's saying? He's saying that salvation is not available unless God is a trinity. God is triune. He goes on. We would have to provide for God could not. But, and then he breaks out in an hallelujah because he's delighting in the Trinity. And why is he delighting in the Trinity? Because the Trinity is what accomplishes our salvation. But hallelujah, God has a son and in his infinite kindness, he dies, paying the wages of sin for us. It is because God is triune that the cross is such good news. And it is wonderful news. That's how we know that we know the God that Jesus reveals. Think of it this way. How do you know you know me? (laughs) It's a weird question, isn't it? Those of you who know me personally, I know I'm putting this on the internet. It gets weird once that happens. But those of you who know me personally, you've experienced me. You're in relationship with me, or at least you've you've run into me. You've had a conversation with me. You've uh, watched me walk by. You've had interaction with me, right? Now, if we believe or if some, if we were to talk with those who believe that uh, you can get to God any old way, What God are they talking about? What person are they talking about? See, I don't know everybody. There's tons of people in the world that I have never met that I don't know. I don't know their names. I don't know their faces. I don't know where they live. I know nothing about them. And the only way I could get to know them would be to 
get to know them, right? And the only way that you can have eternal life is if you get to know the God of the scriptures, the God that is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And if you dwell in Jesus, then we are told by Jesus himself that the spirit comes and dwells in us and the spirit and Jesus dwell in us. And then somehow through that, we mysteriously dwell with God. And someday, someday there will be a feast in Zion. And I don't think this will be too much clearer then. Maybe a a little bit clearer. Maybe we will have a little more knowledge. But I think in some way, this will always be a mystery to us. But this mystery is what gives us salvation. This mystery is what brings new life. And this has been what God has wanted all along, to delight in relationship with you, to delight in relationship with me. Well, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word from John. We have sat and we have thought about things that our brains can barely comprehend. I take that back. We cannot comprehend these things. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just impress upon us, that you would speak to us, that you would indwell in those who are in, who are remaining in Christ, who have faith in Jesus, and that you would just in some way remain with us and us in you, and that we would get a taste, a glimpse of what it means to be in relationship to you and in you today. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.